Welcome to the FNRAD Snowboarding Podcast. I'm Eric Charlson. Wow, this is a great way to climb mountains and come down, you know. For our reception, our Vulcan buddies brought acid. I was talking in and snaking people and causing shit. And I remember calling on the radio and I'm like, Brushy, where are you? You know, Greg would do the tricks. He was kind of like the Tony Hawk of snowboarding. I mean, people just really gravitated to the backcountry. I liked Craig, but he didn't really care for me too much because I was a little shithead. Our guest this week is Tara Dakitas who dominated Winter X Games slopestyle and big air between 99 and 2002. She had groundbreaking video parts with Mac Dog and was featured in several premier snowboarding movies until her official retirement in 2011. Tara turned pro at the beginning of the rapid expansion of the snowboard industry into providing women's specific gear. In fact, she was a little ahead of her time. Before her rise to the top of women's snowboarding, she struggled to find companies that were even interested in sponsoring female riders. I can remember when she became the brightest star in snowboarding. She was completely unstoppable. So I just wanted to say I'm really stoked on all you guys listening and girls. We passed 10,000 downloads like a week ago or maybe a little more than a week ago. We've had 1,000 downloads this week, which is awesome. And at the end of the show last week, I asked for some feedback on possibly changing the name. I think I'm going to leave it for now. But thanks to everybody who wrote in. That was rad. Special thanks to Chris Delato, Jesse Davis, and my good buddy Gord. Your feedback was really appreciated, guys. Unfortunately, the audio in this episode is crummy. So if you're just joining us for the first time, or if you find it unbearable, I apologize. I, um, do you know what the reception was like in this area? Not so we are traveling, I'm with my girlfriend, Maddie, actually, uh, my friend wants to his wife. He's usually with us, but he, he's in Japan right now. He's you guys hang out a bunch? Of, he's one of my favorite humans on the planet. And then, one of my favorite snowboarders, just because of his style, somebody he brought to the table, even though it was simple. Riding yeah. with his jacket open. I copied his style a couple of times. I had slip drops with my jacket open. Sick. That. <laughs> it was so funny. You brought that up. We are working together, yeah. And then, so Marco and Maddie's uh, little boy is about the same age as my daughter. So, we're also um, having sort of a mommy getaway trip right now, too. Totally. Let's start with your first board. What did you first try? Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, um, well, I grew up in the world of gymnastics, soccer, swimming, gymnastics. But gymnastics was my passion. Gymnastics led me to skateboarding. Oh, man, I used to buckboard down the hill to my elementary school in fourth or fifth grade. Yep. I didn't kind of skate around the parking lot and stuff, you know, but I really started getting more serious with skateboarding at, like, 12. You know, it was like, how many stairs could you ollie and grinding red curves and and things like that. So when I hit wind of snowboarding, I was already a skier. I skied since I was four. My parents were really active. The bear was on a local mountain. Having skateboarding and falling in love with it and really pushing myself in skateboarding to you know, learn new tricks and do seven stair gaps, yeah. stuff like that, you know, and handrails and, you know, skating birds and blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I naturally was like, what is this snowboarding thing? So I first went snowboarding in Squaw Valley, Tahoe, yep. with actually my mom, and I was 13 years old. We rented, like, a, I think it was, like, a gyrator. I think it you made it. Yep. So the gyrator was black with, you know, fluorescent... Um, yeah, for, yeah, fluorescent hits on it. Rainbows. Yeah, yeah. You know, and yeah. I had my OP pants on that were all 
I had a whole black kit with like the knee pads and stuff. And I went with my mom and it was amazing. And I literally ran into one other person snowboarding on the mountain that day. And he was just starting too. So we sort of high five each other from across the way because we couldn't actually get to each other. And then it just started from there. So that was my first year. I was 13, but I only went a couple times. But the next year, you know, as I got older and into driving, I just spent as much time as I could up in Big Bear, fell in love with the scene up there. The Outlaw Park was developed. And I got involved with, you know, helping cut the pipe and build the park with um, the Outlaw crew. Mike Perlow was on it at the time, out there with a chainsaw, you know, ripping chunks out of the sidewall for the half pipe. And uh, I'd be at the bottom of the half pipe throwing these giant ice cubes out of the pipe for a comp pass that day because I didn't have any money. You know, I, I intentionally bought a yellow 70s VW plug because it was cheap on gas and it was front wheel drive for good traction in the snow. So I just got up to the mountains as much as I could and fell in love with snowboarding because I could do things on my snowboard that I really wanted to do on my skateboard, but I couldn't. Yeah. You know, I could, like, jump bigger and do, you know, longer rail slides and bonk. It was, like, you bonked things back then. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and the upside-down trash cans. And so the scene back then was incredible. The Outlaw Park, I'll never forget. The fond memory of that is that we were given this one little run off to the side of the mountain because people didn't want us kind of intermingling with the skiers. So they sort of pushed the delinquents off to one side of the hill <laughs> and made it a skate park, you know, and we got to just be really creative, you know, blast punk rock music to the speaker system. So. Would you guys let the progressive skiers in there, or were you allowed, like we were up here, we were okay. allowed to say, like, no skiers? It was almost like, I mean, I hate to say it, but it was almost, I wasn't part of it, but the stories you take away from for the day was, you know, it was almost like gang style. Like, like snowboarders and skiers did not get along, and they didn't want to play together. It would get to, like, fights on the hills and, you know, things like that. So we stayed out of their way, and they stayed out of our way. Snowboarding was so new, but they didn't really know what to do with us, so they mm-hmm. just kind of put us over onto this run, you know, needed to be, like, slowly introduced to the rest of the mountain. It came from Big Bear and watching that develop there. Then I was like, I got to get to a bigger mountain, you know. Like, I want to become more of a well-rounded snowboarder and not just a park rider. And I didn't even know what that meant at the time. I just knew I needed to go. So I went to Mammoth thinking that was a big mountain, right? And then I got to see a whole new scene be developed there, too, kind of like what I saw in Big Bear. So it was fun because Mammoth Mountain didn't have a park at the time, and everything started over at June Mountain. And it was fun to be on a crew, kind of like having a little bit of experience. Big Bear, taking it to June and kind of having to stay, and, you know, along with a group of other people, and, you know, a couple cat drivers that were like, yeah, we'll stay out late and help you guys build a jump. So it was very grassroots, it was very, like, hands-on, you felt like you were really building something, you know, from the ground up, and just, no, I don't want to land flat, so here we go, build a jump. Yeah, it was, it was fun to be so, like, involved in, in building things. I couldn't have asked for a better time to get involved in did you compete at that time? No, I knew very early on that I wanted to do something with snowboarding. It was hard to kind of make a picture of what that was because professional snowboarding was pretty limited then, especially mm-hmm. for women. I mm-hmm. had like Caravan Burnside, Janet Lyons, and really those two that I really looked up to that had accomplished it. But I could relate to because of skateboarding and 
So my design was, you know, I wanted to do something with snowboarding, so I knew I needed to get noticed. So I just found whatever contest I could that I could afford to get myself to, to get into a platform where I could be, you know, kind of showcased. And coming from gymnastics and competing at a high level there, you know, I had a competitive spirit, so it fueled that as well. You know, and uh, so I just kind of kept sourcing out these local contests. Yeah. A lot came from shops that were, you know, doing sort of promotional stuff. A lot of sort of multi-discipline stuff, like skate snowboard contests. At some point, there was like skate, wake, and snowboard contests. And then there was <laughs> motocross, watercross contests. <laughs> and, you know, they kind of merged all the worlds together. So I just kind of followed where that was all going. And then did you get sponsored pretty early on? Um, yes and no. Like, I, um, you know, I was up at Big Bear all the time, kind of crashing everywhere and crashing myself. So I, I stood out just like that. <laughs> um, the girls were hucking themselves. I'll never forget the day that an old friend of mine who made an impact on snowboarding back in the you know, high back days. Mark Gabriel came to me and he was like, no, you're, you're good. You have some talent. You just need to, like, calm down. So he kept watching me, like, going and going and not landing. And, you know, I'm sure I landed a couple things here and there, but it was mostly falling. Yeah. So uh, my first real person that took notice of me on the mountain was a skate snowboard shop active at the time. Now I'm not was answering the phones at uh, Trans World. And, you know, I started riding with people like him and people were like, you know, when Active started putting their, their team together. Um, they had grabbed me and then they introduced me to Bill CK because he was a rep. So he created his own team for the company that he reps, and I became one of the Team BK. So, and so that was kind of my start was through a ride shop and then um, a rep who you know, flowed me some products and then the contest. And then, and then I fell into like. Uh, some really small companies like Slide Snowboards and then Sessions came in. I started working with Dragon and they just started and they were they were running out of a garage with a, an office upstairs in Dana Point. Those two sponsors at that time, just Sessions and Dragon, like that's Jamie Lynn, Chris Roach, I think. Yep. That stuff was so My rad. My was on Sessions, but I was just so thankful to be able to travel the world with those guys and uh, be kind of like a token girl there. Were you on Dekine? Yeah, I did work with those guys a bit. Um, being over in Hood River with, you know, the Mac Dog crew, I got to know those guys. Good group of people. I don't think at that time there were any guys dominating snowboarding in the way that you dominated women's snowboarding. You know, it definitely came with some sacrifice and it was a whirlwind, without a doubt. And I miss a lot of other aspects of life, you know, family, kids, tight relationships, travel with the group, or I get super tight for a little while, and then everything changed the next year, and it was, you know, kind of a different crew or growing. But it, but it was really what I asked for and what I worked for. It gave me unbelievable life for such a long time. I feel really fortunate that I had such a long career. I think that's what not very common these days. You know, I really, you know, thanks to Mac Dog and what he was doing with his 
putting out a video every year, you know, and it was like, before I was pro, I was watching Mad Dog videos, just like studying on, you know, there's kids that really want this dream, you know, you have to immerse yourself in it, so you just immerse in the magazines and the culture and the, and the people with videos and study and you practice, 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 so it didn't happen overnight, so I worked really, really hard to get to that place, but when I did, and things started flowing and people started wanting you know, girls on their team and the image that I sort of cultivated through punk rock music and the culture that I knew and loved from the early days with Big Bear and Mammoth. When I came in, when we barely even had to work here, and it certainly wasn't waterproof, and all of their stuff was like beach girl flowers. It was fun to sort of take what I had created before the level of success that I hit for them I went to my 20s. It was fun to be a part of that growth. I, I'd like to say that I just took as much advantage of the opportunities that were given to me as possible because I worked really, really hard to get there. You know, and something that as I started fading out and seeing some of these younger generations coming in and they could be a little bit more picky about the jumps and stuff like that, my mentality never, ever changed. And my mentality was, if I want to be the best at what I was what I wanted to do for me. If I was going to be lucky enough for a photographer or a filmer to show up to video me, then I was going to perform. And that was my work ethic always. You never see me sitting that quiet jump and just complaining about it not working out or I don't feel like writing, you know, because right. that was my job. And that's what I worked really hard to get to. And photographers and filmers didn't always show up to video a girl. You know, I remember going to this convention centers with my video my on VHS and totally dating myself and my little portfolio that I put together from my friend that had a computer and knew how to work a program like my little portfolio I handed out and they'd be like sorry we don't sponsor girls I mean wow. you're a good writer we like what you're doing you seem like you have a good image but we just don't sponsor girls there's no market for it and that wasn't just one company. I could list like 10 companies going around to the trade shows and they used to let you in without a badge and just being like, hey, like, I've yeah. seen this video. Would you like to look at it? I'm looking for some help. You know, I'd love to continue like, traveling and it works. And they were like, yeah, sweet videos. looks great. But we just, there's no market for girls. None of our sales come from you guys. There was no market for girls. You're saying you went to 10 or, you know, more companies, uh, but every single one of them, the next year, we're just kicking themselves, going, fuck, we could add Terry Nikita's. <laughs> I don't know, like that. But, I mean, we're talking, like, counterculture. They were one of my first clothing sponsors. They were like, you know what? We'll pull you some stuff. We're counterculture. <laughs> 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 you know? Oh, but, but yeah, I mean, you hit it on the head. Like, like that's why Cersei Wallace was so good with. She came out with one of the first ever signature women-specific snowboard suits. His snowboard boots is nice for men and women. So she pretty much bought a house off her royalties from that booth. But it, it's fun to remember the time before that, you know. Were your parents involved in encouraging you to follow your dream? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, no. No. And it's not because they didn't want to be supportive. They just they wanted the best for me. And the best in their mind was going to school, getting an education, and, you know, following that system so you can fall into a good job. Because really, professional snowboarding isn't really a job to spend to make any money at. And 
you know, I had my skateboard, get scars, get hurt. So, um, no, I actually left my, I left home at 15 to pursue my dream in a morning uh, with very little support from my family. Lots of love, but not yeah. a lot of support from what I was for some reason, I had it in my head that your dad was like helping you negotiate contracts and stuff like that. That you did that all on your own. Um, I did. I did it all on my own. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Um, my dad was this incredible man and incredibly loving father, but he just, of course, wanted the best for me and his vision was different from mine. But no, he gave me some tips and pointers when I started buying real estate. They're like, oh, maybe there's something here. Like, oh, it's good for her. She's going yeah. to places we've never been. And, and then I bought my first house in my early 20s. And, you know, like, you know, this is something that could be lucrative for her. Yeah. And so they became supportive. And they became, they wanted to come to all my ideas. My dad would, and they ended up both becoming my, obviously, you know, parents, like my biggest fans. Nice. And, um, and they still tell me how proud they are. You know, uh, so it was a learning lesson for everybody and all parents, I think. Yeah. Your kids' dreams and vision might not always align with their parents, but, you know, have support, safe and trust, and, you know, let them feel it out. Pretty much scouted out by Steve Askerson, who was just getting started. That's the guy who so. started with Kevin Jones, is that right? Kevin was his first. I believe they were old friends and Steve owned the shop. Yeah, so he uh, he was a visionary with our emerging, what we call now, action sports. I think it was extreme sports then. So it was action sports. So did you meet Kevin through him? You guys were married, right, for a bit? <laughs> no. no, no, no. I've only been married once. Kevin and I were like best friends for a long time. We got together and actually saw eye to eye on a lot of, I would say, challenges that came into snowboarding, fame, and like the balance of it all. You know, when you're so young and you're swept up in it, you gotta really, you know, manage a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Never knew you would be managing. We supported each other through those times and became, you know, really good friends. Traveled with Dog Productions and stuff. And then one day fell in love. Uh, like, was it one of those classics, like, you should have just stayed best friends kind of thing? Um, no, I think because we're still friends and we still keep in touch. Cool. Um, we check in on each other from time to time. And, you know, he's an incredible person. He's an amazing, amazing, talented person. And, no, I'm super grateful for that time and what it was. He was I... the love of my life for a while. Um I wouldn't change that. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be two professional snowboarders traveling around the world and just shredding together. I know. You look back and it's like, that's the dream right there. But we didn't really know how to deal with it at the time with everything else that was going on in our personal lives. You know, you just see the cover shot. But, you know, we're still dealing with life. Things will come in and out. They're difficult. A lot of people said they were kind of funny that that silly title, like King and Queen Snowboarding, because <laughs> yeah. we were winning the same contest, winning the same awards, and luckily our careers pulled us together rather than two separate directions, and it, it was fun. I wish I had a few more tools then that I have now yeah. to deal with some of the aspects of that. Of course. <laughs> he was a very deep-thinking person who... He just loved snowboarding, but it did. I mean, he just he, he 
happy places in the mountains, dropping wines. The truest essence of like a snowboarder that you could, you know, imagine. Yeah. Um, as far as love for the sport, and but the, the recognition and waiting that came with it was really, really challenging on them. You can get pulled in a lot of different directions. You can find yourself in situations where you're not really sure, like, is this where I'm meant to be? Are these the things that I want to support? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you kind of feel like a token being, you know, thrown around in different limelights rather than a human being. And, you know, some of your so-called friendships uh, aren't exactly what they seem what you thought they would be. So there's a lot of personal growth that comes with it and, like, boundaries that you have to put up to kind of hold on to, like, your own person. I think anybody that becomes a celebrity, like, you're, like, mini versions of what celebrity, you know, feels like, you know, and you're suddenly living your life on on these outlets. And we were both very private people, so that was a challenge. You know, a winter season was go, 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 and... I mean, we were doing every event in a contest and doing multiple video parts and interviews. We had expectations with sponsors paying you from the highest paid dollars in the industry at the time. There's a certain level of pressure and obligation to perform. You know, and I would say, like, dance when you dance. You know, you're like, well, the humanness comes out of it a little bit in a sense. Of, you know, you you'll have to find your way through it. When you're a sensitive person and you kind of like see things for what they really are, it can be a feeling of disheartenment and something that you absolutely love. I could see that. So my detachment from snowboarding when I started looking at retirement was really having to define the person I was. It's something for any snowboarder or athlete or you know, person that's listening to this right now, one thing that really helped me in the transition, because I didn't transition out of snowboarding very easily, uh, it wasn't graceful for me. What I had to do was realize that snowboarding was what I did, it wasn't who I was. And when you start identifying yourself with what you do, rather than who you just are and what your core values are, then you can get misguided. Suddenly, you know, you're 40, having a midlife going, who am I? Because you identified yourself as something that you did. That was a wake-up call for me when I started realizing that this was just something that I did. And now I have to find out who Tara Dekius is without snowboarding. Even if you're living life and being a mom and going on other adventures, I'm almost shocked that there isn't some company that's like, you're on our team for life. Or have people approached you and you're like, you know what, I'm not interested. Um, no, actually, when the recession came, um, I pretty much got let go of all my sponsors within a year and a half in a very disheartening way, like literally pretty much on a phone call after dedicating over 10 years, you know, being loyal to those brands when I could have gone a different way for more money. And I was hoping that I had made enough of a mark in snowboarding that I would stay involved in some way as a brand ambassador or mentor to the upcoming generation because I felt like through all my experience and mistakes that I could have something to pass forward to future generations, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that I wish I had known before. But there was no place for me to land. I literally came out with a documentary film against the green uh, that Alicia Moore uh, being narrated. 
and uh, you know, did a very intimate look into my life on that with Billabong, and then literally right after it came out, I was dropped by them so they could pick up Jamie Anderson. You know, I remember them saying, well, don't worry, you'll, you'll find another place to land, another home. But what they didn't realize is that I branded myself so much with these companies that I was completely, like, branded with them. So mm-hmm. at 33, when I was looking for new sponsors, there was really not a lot of interest. Plus, our economy was in a horrible state. Snowboarding took a huge hit. So I funded my own snowboarding for years until it didn't make sense anymore. And I was looking at my bank account draining, and, I, and nobody and nobody wanted to give me any support. Um, and I wasn't willing to go back out where I where I was before and go, hey, like sponsor me. I guess I probably had an ego, and I figured, you know, it would be known. I was on multiple different boards because Omatic, you know, got bought by an attorney out from underneath of us. Um, you know, so it was like I was riding whatever, you know, sessions came back in, but I wasn't getting paid. I was just getting royalties. So I, I was an open board. Like, somebody could have come in and put their sticker on me, but nobody yeah. did. So at 2011... When I had finally got an opportunity to live in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which was a dream of mine, I wanted to experience the mountains out there. You know, the beaches and, and uh, you know, old friends, King Road, and Kevin Jones was out there as well. And, you know, I, I felt like that it called me, and I went there, and I did my season, but I was filming on my own dime. I had no crew to film with. You know, not the big part of a career, kind of having your own film crew. Also... Social media came into play, so everybody was doing like their own podcasts and filming themselves. And it was like, you know, Dogger was kind of looking for a different direction and taking his career. My generation was really changing, and um, a lot of people were exiting. And because I didn't find a place to land, I detached. And it wasn't easy. In fact, it, it's so challenging that you are literally the third interview that I've done since I retired from I've had people ask to do interviews. I've had people want to check in on my life. Yeah. Like, Where'd you go? What happened? I didn't feel like I had anything positive to share at the time because I was pretty upset about how my retirement worked out. I was yeah. kind of like, well, I'm a washed-up snowboarder, and now I'm looking for you know, my next stage in life. You know, I can't really afford to go snowboarding anymore. So I um, I didn't, I, you know, X Games would call and be like, we're doing our, you know, 20-year anniversary. We want you to be a part of it. And I was like, why? Are you going to pay me? Right. <laughs> Am I going to put my time into something that I'm not, you know, you guys, what do I get for it? Right. And that's what my attitude turned into because I was like, well, why should I promote you for your journey or, or when, when nobody's there to promote, you know, or, or keep me in as an ambassador or mentor of the brand. Sounds kind of negative, I've, but no. that was my mindset. So I didn't have anything to share, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to offer any of my time for other people's needs. It yeah. felt like it was a very take-take situation. Yeah. And yeah. I was done. I was like, you know what? I'll go snowboarding, but don't expect, you know, expect anything else. The Full Moon Girls, do they invite you on trips and stuff? Like I totally got involved with the Full Moon Girls after Mad Dog, but that was 2007 Oh wow. 2011. Yep, okay. So really, 2007, 
I got injured in 2008, and then I had a part in 2009. Yep. 2010, I started filming in, in Jackson Hole. Dope. And I was doing little pickup clips here and there. Yep. And I tried to fall into a crew, but I didn't have enough shots yep. to really make a whole part. And, you know, by that time, I was all on my own dime. And so 2011 was like my last year that I said, can't fund this anymore. The generation before you found themselves in a similar situation. Like Victoria Jaluz, she hasn't even reemerged yet. I'm waiting for her to accept another interview so we can hear from her because I miss her. It's just the natural life of a new professional athlete. I think you're right. They have their time. It comes and goes. You know, I I miss Michael Jordan. I'm sure a lot of other people do too. Sure. Um, I was actually talking about this the other day like, not so much that I love basketball, but I love his athletic spirit. I just love watching him. It's sort of a natural evolution, and I just had to, like, surrender to that. But I just picked up my first little mini sponsor. We're kind of working things out right now, but it's, like, the best fit that I could ask for because it's a bad company, so it's super diverse, but it has to do with, like, moms and entrepreneurs. It's, like, a diaper-slash-work bag which is totally my life right now. <laughs> I've got one little one in diapers, and my four-year-old, you know, obviously she's almost four, and my little one's almost two. Yeah. Um, and just a really nice guy. It's called uh, Products of the North, startup company is doing out of his house. And great bag, great look, super awesome style. And he likes my story, you know, and he's like, I want to promote you for whatever it is that you're doing in your life right now, whether it's learning or not. So, to answer your question, if a, if a company came in and wanted to sponsor me, for, well, I'm going to let them know, well, look, I'm not doing any contest, and I get very few days on the mountain. If you want to have a ride-along for a heli trip and have, like, a, you know, or even, you know, on the mountain, just have, like, ride days, sort of that ambassador program or do any mentoring with some of the young generations coming up, especially now that their orders are coming up with, like, 10 years old and 11 and 12, I mean, the family. I get people emailing or Facebooking me saying, what would you suggest? Well, a mentor is going to be able to kind of come in and guide with that. But obviously, you know, I can't spend my time doing that because I have my own children. I have my own life now. And it doesn't exactly pay what I've got going on right now. I do it for selective people when I'm really inspired by their story or their personal friends or friends of friends, you know, kind of yeah. thing. Is there stuff you would say to, to young women right now just about following your dreams and about snowboarding and anything like that? What I want to give to my daughter is that she can do anything she believes she can do. Because without belief and without vision, people will perish. <laughs> yeah. and I, you know, I, I went through it. I didn't always believe in myself. I had to find my belief all the time. It's not like it's something that just needs to give it. You know, like, here's your belief, you know, go run with it. You got to work at it. You got to get knocked down to figure out how to, you know, you yourself pick yourself up and find it again and figure a way around it, around the obstacles that uh, life presents. And so, again, going back to mentoring, it's like, thank God for the people that I went to and mentors that I had outside of snowboarding that helped me find my belief when I lost it or my vision when I lost it because I could have given up very easily and I'm glad that I didn't and I think the biggest takeaway from my career is that because I saw through the tough times and the challenging times and 
and pursued my dreams that I now know whatever I put my mind to, I can accomplish. And that's what I'm doing now with my family. You know, I get to be a stay-at-home, work-from-home mom with my kids, which is what I always wanted to do if I was going to be fortunate enough to be a mom. Um, that was my vision for my life. Uh, I wanted to find a dream piece of property for myself and my family that I could pass down to my generation, to my kids. You know, I wanted to build, you know, a barn with an apartment upstairs, live in that way. We worked on the dream house. I wanted to be involved in a company that allowed me to have the flexibility and freedom that I knew and loved from snowboarding. I always tell people that I'm, like, completely unemployable. The way I could ever have a job it is, like, just the thought of it just, like, makes me cringe. It's just because I kind of run wild for so long, I can't. I can't go back, but I've had thoughts that I was going to have. That was what my life was going to look like after snowboarding. And I kept my belief because I looked at it like, am I going to work in an office now? What am I going to do? You know, I looked at my life and I looked at my core values and what my goals were, what I wanted my life to look like. And I kept that vision. You know, I didn't let go of it. And I didn't always know how I was going to get there. But I think if you believe in it strong enough, the how to get there works itself out. And if you keep an open mind and you keep, you know, an openness to opportunities uh, that come your way, because if you know what you want, you'll attract those opportunities and they'll come your way. But then you have to be smart enough or wise enough to realize that's an opportunity that I'm going to look at. And that's an opportunity I'm going to take advantage of. So don't have any closed doors. That's a big message I would say to people and my kids. Is like, even though you have your life design, it's not always going to come in the shapes and colors that you envisioned it to be. It might look totally different, but it might end up being exactly the thing that gives you the freedoms that you're looking for or whatever it is that's important to you. For me, it's freedom, time freedom, financial freedom, to be able to live my life how I want to on my terms. That would be probably my message there. And snowboarding didn't just happen, you know? I think that's a big... timing, there's vision, and work. You mentioned at the beginning, you're crashing a lot. You've got big heart, and you're you're trying, and somebody's like, hey, you just need to slow down a little bit. Yeah. I think a lot of people, when they crash, they just give up. When you crash, that doesn't necessarily mean you're failing at doing what you're doing. It means keep going, and... You got to be willing to crash to get to that great thing. But most people just crash a couple of times and they're like, that's that. I'm done. There's a lot of people that think that being a pro snowboarder is just fun. It's like this, oh, lucky you, you get to do what you love for your life, for your living. I wish I would have been able to do that. But they're, what they're wishing for isn't a reality. You wish you were independently wealthy and good at snowboarding. I mean, absolutely. I, I never thought my career when I got started would land me on, like, the big Letterman shows, you know, or meeting some of the people that I interviewed with in my life that are, like, super celebrities or whatever. Um, that that I never never even entered my mind. It was just the whirlwind that I, that I ended up getting on and going through with what I created. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I look at... You know, when you crash, those are your those are your lessons of learning. I mean, my biggest lessons in life for myself were when I was injured with downtime and losing contest or not winning. You know, like not podium for me, losing. When you're looking at something from an outsider's perspective, somebody's life could look 
true success, you know, not like trust fund success, you know, and even those people have lessons that they need to learn, but personal success, whatever it is, whatever goals you set, you want to succeed in, whether it's money or, you know, just accomplishment or degrees or just personal markers for your life, having a family, giving them off, and by the way, being mom is like the hardest job in the world. Oh, way higher rewarding, but and way more fulfilling. If you're falling and you're failing, then you're trying. And you're on the right track. It's just a matter of that is that the track that you really want to be on? And are you gonna let those obstacles detour you from that track? Or are you gonna stick in with it long enough to get to the other side? F and Rad shout outs this week start with Tara. I mean if anybody wants to follow like what we're doing on our kind of dream build, um, sharing a lot there with uh, the process of it. Um, I, I love the fact that it, I'm able to have a platform to bring some pretty valuable things to uh, light that I feel um, should be taught in our school system, like restoration agriculture. Um, but it's called Building Smart by Sarah Dikitas. Yep. And it's a, it's a closed Facebook group page, and um, I invite yourself in there. So you can friend request that, and I'll let you in. And uh, you can see my kids, and, uh, you know, life is good. Life is super good, and I, I feel very blessed and grateful for the things that we have and, and uh, where I'm at right now. So it was super nice to talk to you, Eric, and please, yeah, keep, keep in touch with me. Thanks for listening to the Rad Snowboarding Podcast. Be sure to come back next week for another episode brought to you by BR Productions.